Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So I decided to record a special edition of the Peter Schiff Show podcast, and it's a very important topic, and so I also wanted to include some video. And, you know, it's not directly related to the economy or the markets, but really it indirectly is, because this nation is being pushed to the left by a lot of false narratives one of them being racism, particularly when it comes to the issues of wealth disparity and trying to blame the, the difference in wealth between African-Americans and the general population or white Americans, that the reason for this is because of a pervasive and systemic racism and that the only way that African-Americans can succeed is if we elect a bunch of socialists who are going to enact laws to save them from racism and to redistribute the wealth. And part of that narrative really was advanced back in 2012 with the Trayvon Martin incident with George Zimmerman. And people who were listening to the Peter Schiff uh, radio show back in 2012, I really covered this topic pretty extensively. I was one of the earliest uh, defenders of Zimmerman. And you know the reason I did that is because as the evidence was coming out, it was completely contradicting the false narrative that was being pushed uh, by the Martin family, by the media. Yet the media remained steadfast in their opinion, even though you had all this evidence uh, that contradicted it. Well, the reason that I've resurrected this topic is because now a George Zimmerman is in the news again. He has filed a $100 million lawsuit against uh, the Trayvon Martin family, the mom and dad, uh, the lawyers, prosecutors. And the media is again pushing this same false narrative. They are writing all sorts of articles, really vilifying Zimmerman all over again. How dare this guy file this lawsuit? Hasn't he done enough damage? I mean, here he's, he murdered uh, a child and now he's suing uh, the, the parents, uh, the, the, the parents of the victim. All this terrible coverage. But again, the real story here isn't the lawsuit, but why the lawsuit has been filed, the merits of this case, because some new information has come to light, which really shines a light on the severity of this hoax. And it's actually an even bigger fraud uh, than I initially believed. And the lawsuit, and this again should be the real focus of the media coverage, is based on a book and a documentary which recently came out. It's the Trayvon hoax, um, unmasking the witness fraud that divided America. That is the complete name of both the book and of the, uh, the documentary. I have not read the book yet. I've actually seen the documentary twice and I've invited onto this program um, Joel Gilbert, who is both the filmmaker and the author of the book. 
Uh, Joel, welcome uh, to my show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. All right. So first of all, I mean, this was about, what, seven years ago that this incident took place. Uh, what made you even embark on you know, this endeavor? Uh, and how many years actually transpired between the Trayvon Martin incident and you know, when you started all the work uh, that ultimately culminated in the book and, and the, uh, and the uh, film? Okay, well, actually, the, the trial, of course, was only six years ago, and uh, the result of the trial has really permeated American life, culture, and politics on every level. As you know, Black Lives Matter was directly formed because of this case. It led directly to the Ferguson, Missouri incident and the Ferguson effect, where police no longer do proactive policing. Uh, it was really ground zero for racial division in America. Uh, Black and white both viewed race relations as positive in 2012. Everyone, even whites, even myself, very proud of having a black president, even though I didn't agree with his politics. And uh, ever since then, it's been negative. And we've had racial incidences blown up and accusations of America being racist all of a sudden, as you mentioned. And uh, this has been an ongoing thing that the socialist movement has always tried to bring black Americans into their cause. It actually started back in the 30s. They tried to recruit uh, black Americans, especially in Chicago, where Communist Party USA was founded. But blacks were religious people. They didn't want any part of uh, Marxism and socialism because it was atheist. Also, they were into love thy neighbor, whereas socialism promoted a war between the classes, rich against poor. So the socialists had very little success with African Americans, really until up through the middle of the 80s, they started uh, again. Really, Barack Obama was one of the pioneers. He was brought from New York to Chicago by radical socialists to become a community organizer. The real job was agitator. Uh, they used him as kind of a front man to try to recruit black church groups to bring them into the socialist cause. So they're always trying to create and manufacture incidences. Uh, and this Trayvon Martin case, uh, Zimmerman case, they just jumped on. Uh, the media came into it and pushed this false narrative, and I only got into it about a year ago is when I noticed that uh, Andrew Gillum, I was really fascinated by him because he came out of nowhere, radical socialist mayor of Tallahassee, and he almost won the governorship coming out of nowhere in, uh, in Florida, and it was right after Jay-Z had put out a documentary called Rest in Power, six-part series all about the Trayvon Martin case. And I also noticed that Gillum, in his debates with Ron DeSantis, had a very race-based campaign. He'd say to DeSantis, I'm black, I've always been black, and as far as I know, I'll die black. You know, I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Then he said, uh, I don't think you're a racist, but the racists think you're a racist. And he was always talking about the Trayvon Martin case, and I also saw that he kind of based his career on this. So that's what set me on the path. I I said, I'm going to look into this case from the beginning and maybe the place to start because the media was so corrupt. I'll look at Trayvon's 750 page cell phone records and I'll get to know Trayvon. And in doing so, I immediately discovered that the key witness for the prosecution, Rachel Gentile, was not the girlfriend, which her name was Diamond. And I said, if I can find the real Diamond, find out why she was switched out and who knew about it, I'll make a book and a documentary, and that's what I set out to do. All this took place then within the last year. There was a big gap Correct. between, wow. And you know, when you started this, did you have any idea when you first looked into it that that woman who was presented as Diamond Eugene, Rachel Gentile, did you have any idea that she wasn't who she claimed to be, that she wasn't the girlfriend and she wasn't on the phone uh, with Trayvon uh, leading up to the incident? Well, look, just about everybody, especially African-American friends of mine, they all said, look, that's not his girlfriend. Everybody kind of knew something is wrong here, but nobody really put it together. Even yourself knew that something is wrong. How can she say that she heard over the phone that was opposite of the eyewitnesses? And she's 150 pounds heavier than Trayvon. She's a year older. She couldn't put two sentences together. So everybody kind of thought something was really wrong here. So... In, in starting out, uh, I found that Trayvon was texting photos back and forth with Diamond Eugene, 
And there's the photos in the phone records. It's not Rachel Gentile. You couldn't mistake her in a million years. Were there any photos on that phone of Rachel Gentile? No, none whatsoever. And I showed that in the film. The film and the book are really kind of an investigative journey. I take you on my journey from getting the phone records. I go to Miami. I go to Little Haiti, uh, Tallahassee, where I find Diamond Eugene. She's in the movie. And uh, she's actually studying criminal justice, of all things. And I go to Sanford and... Uh, George Zimmerman is in the film. He did not even testify in his own trial. So you get to hear from his point of view, you know, what really yeah, happened. And that's not because he, he wasn't innocent. I mean, most lawyers advise defendants in a case like that not to testify. I'm sure he wanted to testify, but he was probably advised uh, not to. And obviously, you know, the, the case came out in his favor, so his testimony wasn't, wasn't necessary. But yeah, one of the best parts of your film, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, I even enjoyed it as much watching it the second time, even though I knew everything that was going to happen. But it's not even so much as the facts, but your journey in piecing it all together and all the things that you had to do in right. order to basically solve the mystery. But one of the things that, that I'm interested in is how quickly were you able to ascertain, just by initially looking at those records, that there actually was a real a diamond, that it wasn't just some nickname uh, from for another girl? Well, the first thing I found is uh, people remember, and I'll remind your audience, uh, the incident was on February 26, 2012. The Sanford police investigated for almost three weeks eyewitnesses, physical evidence, 911 calls. The location of the incident was next to Zimmerman's car, you know. So the whole thing, they said, look, this supports, everything supports Zimmerman's statement of self-defense. He was going back to his car when he was attacked, and they had all the evidence. So the case was closed. It was over. And only a week later, the uh, family attorney for the uh, Martin family, Benjamin Crump, held a press conference, and he holds up a digital recorder and says, I just found Trayvon's girlfriend last night. Her name's Diamond Eugene. She's only 16. It's in, they're puppy love. They're in love, and they're dating. And she says it. You couldn't really understand what she's saying, but she he plays a couple of statements that seem to contradict all the evidence. So the next day, Barack Obama comes on board, says, "If I had a son, he looked like Trayvon." Mm -hmm. And then I show two weeks later, the police show up to Diamond Eugene's house. I got her address from the unredacted documents, and they're sent away to a different house where a woman who works for Trayvon's mother lives. And that's when 18-year-old Rachel Gentile appears. And she says, oh, oh, my nickname is Diamond Eugene. I'm Diamond Eugene. <laughs> so what I did is I compared, the first thing I did is I compared the phone call with Benjamin Crump of the real legitimate phone witness, Diamond Eugene, and I compared the similar phrases that she said with the voice of Rachel Gentile from the prosecutor's interview two weeks later. And I compared those. So at the beginning, right away, it's not the same person. Also, it's even in the trailer. You can go to the TrayvonHoax.com. Rachel actually breaks down and confesses to the prosecutors at the end of her interview. She says six times, I feel guilty. I feel real guilty. They say, why do you feel guilty? She says, I know about it. And instead of arresting her for lying to prosecutors, they take some of her statements anyway and use her to arrest Zimmerman. Yeah, I mean, so how, how long how did it take you from when you got the records, right? You got the, 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 the phone records. How, how long did it take you to get to that part? Not finding Diamond, but realizing that there were two separate people. Uh, two separate people. It was pretty quick because of the voice comparison. <laughs> finding the pictures. There's 3,000 photos, 3,000 text messages. Even though the photos were in there, it was like reading the Bible. You had to read it again and again. And I finally realized that of the 3,000 photos, I could find Diamond because they were texting photos to each other, and I used the timestamp. Uh, so that took a few months to, to really figure it out. But the, the, the interesting part, yeah. though, is if you yeah. were able to figure this out, and there should have been some red flags, as you said, from the, 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 the prosecutors who, you know, have an interest in if there's, if there's evidence that, you know, that supports uh, the, the, the defendant, exculpable evidence, they have, an, they have to, they have to uh, explore that. They're not there to convict innocent people. So if they find evidence that the person is being wrongly accused, they're supposed to explore that. So if you were able to figure this out so quickly, how is it possible, and this is why people think this whole thing can't be, how is it possible that the prosecutors had all this evidence and still allowed an imposter to testify uh, under oath as if she was actually the person who was involved with Trayvon and the person who was on the phone with him? Right, well, when you look at the film and the book also, I go through the fact that the prosecution withheld evidence 
from the defense. They had to spend two-thirds of their time. Their attorney, Zimmerman's attorneys, told me they spent two-thirds of their time in court just putting sanctions on the prosecutors for not giving them evidence. The phone records they actually withheld as long as they could. They told the defense they could not speak to Diamond because she was only 16, which was actually true, until just before the trial. Then just before the trial, Rachel Gentile, now she's 19, shows up. So the defense, I'm sorry, the prosecutors, just in that first interview with Rachel, they knew she was lying. They said, it's in the movie, I say, said things like, how many texts did you send to Trayvon that day? She says, uh, one. Right. And it's, it's actually 32 texts. Uh, they, every question they ask, they know the answer, and she lies. Yeah. So, and then when you look at the affidavit for arrest, they use Rachel's statements, for example, uh, that, uh, you know, whose voice was it screaming for help? Now, you had the eyewitness, Jonathan Good, said it was the guy on the bottom. You had Tracy Martin, uh, Trayvon's father, told the police when he heard the 911 calls it was not his son. And you had Zimmerman, when the police officer came one minute later, said, I was screaming, but nobody helped me. So they discounted all that evidence and just used the girl over the phone to indict Zimmerman. So it's really hard to believe and, that with they have subpoena powers. I wish I had subpoena powers. And, and, and of course, you know, powers. just they, they did it anyway. Circumstantially, you know, it just never made any sense that this five foot nine overweight guy was the one screaming for help. That Trayvon, tough guy, wannabe gangster, you know, lots of fighting, that he was just screaming for help. Uh, it just it just didn't even sound right. But even today, I still, you know, I, I, I talked about this on my radio show and I put up a YouTube video and I read the comments and I still get all these people, these, you know, uh, pushing this narrative that, well, Zimmerman chased him, he stalked him, he, Zimmerman started the fight. You know, people still believe that despite I'll, all the evidence. Right. And, you I'll know, tell you why. Because the, the police report came out and it completely exonerated Zimmerman. So the only thing people ever heard after that was the narrative that the family attorney, Benjamin Crump, put in the media, which was a small black child was on a candy run when he was stalked, jumped upon, screamed for help, and executed in cold blood. Now, the whole, every bit of that is false, but that's the narrative that the media pushed and forced the appointment of a special prosecutor, and that's what Rachel Gentile then testified to, because Diamond Eugene, the real girlfriend, when she talked to Crump, she was under tremendous pressure. She didn't want to say anything at 16, and so she just agreed with everything Crump said, but she wouldn't lie to police. Very smart. Then Rachel Gentile, we don't know the whole exactly who yeah. put her up to it, but Rachel Gentile then came and, and did tell these lies. And I talk about in the film as well, Peter, as you know, that how this case was really used to divide the country, and especially at that time, because the black vote was not in the tank for Obama in 2012, and they were looking for something to polarize people to make sure to get Obama reelected, yeah. and this was it. But I, you know, I want to get back, you know, to to what you uncovered. And first of all, it certainly makes sense to me that the reason the real Diamond didn't want to testify is because she knew she was going to be lying. If she was going to testify honestly, there'd be no reason to be worried. Just go there and tell the truth. But when you're lying, that's obviously you know a, a reason for concern. And, and so I can see why you know she didn't want to do that. But so after you put this together, I assume that you got into contact with Zimmerman and Zimmerman's. A defense attorney, you know, when, well, when you shared this yeah. information with him, I mean, what, what was his reaction? Well, of course, I uh, initially I did contact, even when I got started, I contacted Zimmerman's attorneys once I realized there was a fake witness. Uh, and uh, Mark O'Mara, for instance, his first reaction was, well, why would anyone substitute Rachel Gentile? She was such a terrible witness. <laughs> and I explained to him, I said, it was never really about getting Zimmerman arrested, uh, I'm sorry, convicted, because nothing anyone could say they heard on the phone would overcome the eyewitnesses and the physical evidence. I said they wanted him arrested for this bigger political agenda. And in the end, if he was convicted, it wouldn't help the cause. Only if he's out on the streets can you have Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick kneeling and saying America is racist. Only on the streets, he's of great use to them. So That's uh, an interesting point, because if he yeah. was in jail, they would have said, oh, justice works, black lives That's do right. matter. But right. by acquitting him, now they can say, you see, you can murder a black child and nothing happens to you. Right. right. And so as far as uh, Zimmerman, I did approach him because I wanted him to be in the movie, mm -hmm. uh, obviously before it was finished. So uh, when I told him, I didn't tell him the whole story at first. I just showed him some of the evidence. On the one hand, he was kind of shocked that his 
defense team didn't see that there's texting photos back and forth. On the other hand, he said he knew Rachel was lying because everything she said that the interaction between him and Trayvon never happened. Yeah, so, I mean, I thought she was lying too, but I thought she was just making it up. I thought she actually was on the phone with him because her phone records confirmed, at least, you know, and you show how they did that in the movie. But I just thought that she was lying because her story didn't make sense. She was contradicting even herself and her own demeanor as a witness. She was like, she was annoyed that she was there. She didn't want to be there. She kept, when is this going to be over? So to me, I, she looked I, like somebody who was lying. But I, I couldn't even imagine that the lie could be so deep that she was an imposter, that she wasn't yeah, well, even diamond. Yeah. And she, did, she probably yeah. never even knew Trayvon. That's right. So first of all, it was not her phone. Uh, and so that was the first problem. Yeah. And look, if the FDLE, the Florida Department of uh, Law Enforcement, and the prosecutors, you could just look at the phone records and see that it was impossible that this belonged to Rachel Gentile by looking up, and that's what I did. I identified all the phone numbers, including Rachel Gentile. So Diamond Eugene was actually calling Rachel Gentile all the time. She's not calling herself. Uh, and there's just a million of these. Even Trayvon's phone records revealed that it was impossible that Rachel Gentile... Not to mention there's the photos, there's the address. I did a handwriting analysis. The very big part of the film is there's a famous letter. People remember from the court uh, case, the most memorable moment is when the defense said, did you give this letter to Trayvon's mother? Yes. Did you sign it? Yes. What name did you use? Diamond Eugene. That's my nickname. You know, who has a, is, is, you know, who has a nickname of a different name? And then they say, can you read the letter? She says, I can't read it. I can't read cursive. I mean, I don't think she could read at all. It didn't have to do with cursive. Mm -hmm. But people and remember that. she can't that. read, she can't write. And this letter, <laughs> I actually got handwriting samples from Rachel and Diamond Eugene. I took it to forensic handwriting expert Bart Baggett, and he confirmed that Rachel did not sign the name Diamond Eugene, and it was signed by Diamond. So it's completely proven, and I think uh, Zimmerman is going to have a pretty successful case uh, if he can get these people under oath because or if the case if they can yeah. get the case to court. But, you know, you don't your your uh, film. And again, I, I haven't read the book. I'm sure it's got even more information than was yeah. in that film. But you don't just make a compelling argument. I think you make an ironclad bulletproof case. I don't see how there's any possible way that you're wrong. Now, if you were right. I would imagine that it would be very easy for people to come forward and prove that you're wrong, that this, that, that Rachel Gentile was, in fact, uh, Diamond Eugene. That really is her nickname. Uh, you know, they, they would be able to come out. Has anybody come out with any type of information to refute your, I mean, has anybody come out, a friend of the family or a friend of anybody, well, to yeah, say, I'll, you know, I'll, you're right? Has anybody confirmed it? Well, here's what's happened. Since Dimmerman's lawsuit came out, we've had official reactions. Uh, Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, posted on her Facebook page something like, oh, Lord, please help me through this. Uh, Rachel's attorney, ben Ver, uh, Ron Vereen, uh, he's actually a clip in the movie where he talks about how she got PTSD from this ordeal, uh, which you can imagine how stressful it was for her and how cruel it was really for anyone, everyone who knew that she was not Diamond Eugene, that it allowed her to testify. She had a lot of disabilities, and she could. She was held back two years in school. She couldn't read, uh, you know, fourth grade level, whatever. So Ron Vereen, her attorney, actually put out a statement. He said, "Rachel's uh, relationship with with Trayvon is whatever she says it was." Uh, that that <laughs> wasn't. I don't know if that was very convincing. Uh, and then, of course, Ben Crump just dismissed it and said, "Oh." Uh, you can read his denials online about that uh, Zimmerman's just trying to get attention. So they've not, they're not talking about the substance here, and I don't think they can. No, I uh, have read countless articles, because I searched for them, where you, know, you, you, you Google uh, George Zimmerman, and there's all these articles just about his crazy, frivolous lawsuit that doesn't stand a chance, that's just, he's an attention whore, you know, whatever he's doing. And not a single article actually goes into the substance. And a couple of them that actually mentioned the allegations of, of witness fraud, they, they, they just then attack you or they attack the lawyer, they're politically biased, as if Look, to just discredit, like there's no real evidence supporting anything that you're saying. Right. Well, look, a couple of things on this point. 
first of all, from the get-go, the media built this narrative. This is their story uh, that America is racist, and it's all because uh, uh, of this case. So this is their, they're invested in this. They're invested in the Democrat Party that they built with a 95% black vote based on this narrative. So they're not going to be running to really take a serious look at this. I actually gave the, all the information to the Miami Herald when the movie came out. I said, these people are all from Miami. You covered this case actually objectively at the time. Mm -hmm. Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon's mother, is running for Miami-Dade commissioner. She was endorsed by Hillary, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker. You should look into this. They said, we pass. They didn't <laughs> want to touch it. Now, there are objective journalists, though. For example, the Orlando Sentinel, of all people, just came out with an article saying that, by David Whitley, saying that this case deserves a fair look and talking about the evidence. Epic Times, of course, American Thinker had great articles about it. Uh, uh, many others. So you just got to look around. The uh, Townhall.com, Bill Marshall. So you can look at the website, thetrayvonhoax.com, under press, and you'll see all the coverage. Uh, there's actually a couple of brilliant professors, these... Uh, African-American professors, one out of uh, Columbia and one out of Brown University, uh, Glenn Lurie and John McWhorter, they read the book and, and saw the movie, and they did a very insightful... Uh, yeah, about a I, I happen to watch their part one and part two in their entirety. Yeah. And yeah, I, I very much enjoyed watching it, because you can tell, because these are, these are liberal Democrats. These guys you know, admit that they were fully on board with the false narrative because they just wanted to believe it, like everybody else. But their minds, I mean, their rational thought is just now contradicting with that because it won't let them accept it anymore. And you can see it pains them to have to admit this because they understand the implications. Because you well, have these people yeah. now that have been paraded around, you know, the, the parents, and they're, they basically committed a crime. And the lawyer, I mean, this is a huge crime when you basically knowingly put forward a fake witness who is not only committing perjury because you coach them, but they're, they're, they're an imposter. They're not even the person they claim to be. And if the Trayvon's parents and his lawyers, if they're willing to lie about something like this, if they're willing to commit a crime that they should actually be in jail for, they should be charged, and if convicted, they should be going to jail for what they tried to do and framing an innocent man. I mean, you know, what if, what if they actually convicted George Zimmerman, although he's been convicted in the court of public opinion, you know, and his lives have been ruined by, by a lie. And so they understand the implications of this. And so it's tearing them up inside and they're being honest. But I think the media understands it, which is why they want to clamp it down. They don't even want to admit, oh, you know what? We made a mistake. We rushed to judgment. We believed a bunch of liars who had their own agenda, right? They made a bunch of money off this. The lawyer made a career and a fortune. The parents had a lawsuit and they're all politically motivated and they don't want to go back and say, hey, wait a minute. We, sh we this was a rush to judgment. They, they don't even want to reflect on that. So they're burying this story. Well, but for them, it's far beyond that, because don't forget, uh, less than a year later, their next this the slogan they ran with was Skittles and iced tea. So Ben Crump then went with Al Sharpton to Ferguson, Missouri, to push the next Trayvon hoax, as I call it. Hands up, don't shoot. That's another one the media pushed. So they've been pushing this stuff on us for, for the last six years. It really changed the country. Jussie Smollett thing, that never would have happened. They just, they just repeated it without question. When I was in D.C. at the um, National Press Club promoting, uh, releasing the movie there, uh, they were putting out a story that a black girl in Virginia said some white kids cut off her dreadlocks. They were reporting that, no questions asked. The next day, they said, Mike Pence's wife works at this school. They were so excited. The third day, they said, oops, the mother said it was a hoax. She lied. She cut off her own dreadlocks. So the media malfeasance, the media malfeasance to just run with this stuff. Uh, and I think, I think a lot of people are, are realizing that uh, if you just accept the media narrative, you're going to get fooled. And if Al Sharpton is in on it or Ben Crump is in on it, you really need to ask some questions. Yeah, I mean, but at least cutting off a young girl's dreadlocks, I can see that happening. That's possible. But, I mean, the, the Jussie Smollett, that was crazy. I mean, the minute I heard that, I, there's no way this actually happened. And, and the media is already willing to accept it because Jussie is black and he's gay. So auto automatically, if you're a victim and he's a double victim, well, you must be believed no matter how preposterous it is that you're asking people to believe. 
And, and, you know, and this should, you know, should open up people's eyes. I mean, did you get on the phone with some of these reporters and actually discuss your findings to, to get their reaction or did they not even get that far? Well, they did. I mean, I talked to a lot of them and many of them were quite honest. They said straight up, they said, look, this is incredible what you uncovered, but I'm afraid to be the first one to push it out there. If I'm the first one looking into this, I'm going to get attacked on social media. They're going to call for me to be fired. Only once it's out in the media, then I'll cover it. And most of them actually have, but all of them were afraid. They don't want to scoop. They don't want to scoop. They want to be a follow on. They'll follow the mob, but they don't want to be a target of any information that contradicts the main narrative that they push. Yeah, that is the initial pressure. Because I remember, you know, I felt it a little bit, but I'm not a very politically correct guy. But what happens is if you don't immediately support whatever's being alleged by these victims, well, then you're a racist yourself, right? You know, you're, you're not believing them, and that just shows how racist you are. And then because we all want to show that we're not racist, which most of us are not, but in order to show that, then we just have to believe them. And it's our willingness to believe what's obviously a lie. That supposedly proves that we're not racist. I think it's the other way around. I think if you're willing to give uh, them people, if they're black or whatever their, you know, their minority status is, if you're willing to lower the bar and just give them a pass and say, look, that's okay if what they're saying is a lie, we're just going to believe it anyway. That's what's racist. You got to treat everybody the same. You have to have a healthy degree of skepticism when somebody says something that doesn't make any sense. I have found from my interactions with people that have seen the film, uh, it supports what I believe is that no one has suffered more from this Trayvon hoax, as I call it, than the black youth of America. And the Trayvon hoax is two things. It's both the substitution of a legitimate phone witness, which was Brittany Diamond Eugene. She went with Trayvon by her middle name, Diamond Eugene, for a false fake witness, Rachel Gentel, to get Zimmerman arrested and, and try to get him convicted. The Trayvon hoax is also the name I give to that narrative that the media plays on black Americans every day, that America is racist and you better seek shelter on the left to protect yourself from all this hatred. And uh, this is the, the story they push. And I can tell you that beginning at the, uh, the National Press Club, we had students there from Howard University, historically black college, and my security guards were these big tough black guys. And they all came up to me afterwards and said things like, thank you. They wanted my autograph. They wanted copies. They said, thank you. Thank you. We knew something was wrong with this. I had a girl, a black girl, email me and said, I have a black son and I was afraid for him to grow up in America. And now I realize we got played. We got played. She said, thank you. Thank you. So it's the black kids. They knew all along Rachel wasn't the girlfriend. You have to tell them. Yeah. Now, and have you had any contact? They, suffered, with, they with, suffered from this story because I want to point out that that whole Ferguson effect thing where police no longer do proactive policing. They just drive by when they see crimes. Uh, we've had a 33% rise in homicides in urban America. So it's been a crime disaster for black neighborhoods, all because of this, this ridiculous story that they put forth based on this case that America somehow became racist. I grew up in Tennessee in the 70s and 80s. I never heard the N-word in my life. Uh, black and white kids, we're all friends, we're all together. Uh, if there were black kids who were friends of mine because I liked their character. If there were white kids that weren't friends, it's because we didn't get along. Who ever heard of this nonsense? And they want to tell us 40 years later, America became racist. And that's the narrative that they use to drive their political agenda. Yeah. And, and I think, too, the fact that obviously you have a bias, just like all the people that were pushing the false narrative have a bias, People can't see behind this. Well, because he's a conservative or a libertarian, then obviously this is all a bunch of nonsense because he's trying to push his narrative. But I think you hit you know, the nail on the head with the election of Barack Obama. I think that scared the left and the race baiters because you know, this was a sign that America was less racist, that, hey, white people voted for a black man for president. That shows that we're not as racist as everybody wants to claim. So I think they needed something to, to well, divide us again. They needed something to convince people that even though we voted for a black man for president, we're actually racist. So I think this Trayvon Martin incident, I mean, you know, this was perfect. And, you know, the only thing that wasn't perfect is that the guy that killed him was Hispanic. So they had to redefine him as a white Hispanic. Because initially nobody saw photographs of him. So it was Zimmerman, George Zimmerman. Oh, you know, German name. He's obviously a white yeah. guy. And so All people right. just assumed he was white. All right, you're jumping around on four or five subjects. I mean, first of all, I don't think I'm biased in any way. 
Uh, this is a very straightforward investigation. No, no, Anyone, politically. You have a, I, I'm not politically biased. This has nothing to do with politics. Economics, this film, then. Pro, pro, uh, philosophy. No, this, this, film, this, film, this film and my work, and I don't think I'm biased in any way, this film is an investigation of the facts of the case. Uh, the conclusions are actually uh, that we need unity, that we need healing, that Americans are all brothers. This case divided us for no reason. Black and white, we're all brothers under a constitution, under a nation of liberty. And that people divided us for no reason. So my message is uh, not controversial. It's uh, brotherhood. Uh, I grew up in uh, Tennessee, all brothers, black and white, had Asian friends. Anything that wants to divide us along our most superficial qualities, which is skin tone, is ridiculous. And, but this is the playbook of uh, socialism because uh, they, socialist policies don't work. Uh, everything was getting worse in black America. Mm -hmm. Unemployment, 50, 60, 70 percent. And they used the tools of state. Uh, I talk about this more in the book that the Department of Justice actually sent down representatives claiming they were going to investigate when the police said there was no uh, probable cause for arrest, and they actually organized protests. The Department of Justice came down and organized protests against Zimmerman for his arrest with no evidence and no probable cause. At that same time, I'll remind you, the Obama administration was using the IRS to break up the conservative Tea Party movement that had shellacked them in the 2010 elections. So socialists use the tools of state and division. As we saw last week in the IG report, they were using the FBI, DOJ, CIA to maintain a hold on power because their policies don't work. Yeah. And uh, when you look back at this case, you can see how Obama was using the tools of state to maintain power. And uh, in my prior film called um, there's no place like Utopia. I actually interviewed a former KGB agent, a defector named Konstantin Prebijinsky. And he said the communists always viewed black Americans as the raw material for revolution, meaning they could just use them for their goal. And I think uh, with the revelations in this case, black Americans are really realizing that they got played by these white liberals with their agendas to bring them into a socialist uh, agenda that doesn't have anything yeah. to do with their interests. Definitely, One some the things, If you look at the Black Lives Matter website, go to their goals, transgenderism, globalism, things that have nothing to do with helping black Americans. It's all the white liberal socialist agenda that they use Trayvon Martin and they use Zimmerman to try to bring black voters yeah, into they, their camp. Look, they do the same thing with environmentalism. It's really a cover for socialism. They're trying to get these socialist policies in through various uh, doors. But, you know, when I said biased, I didn't mean that you were biased in your filmmaking. It was very objective. You clearly were just looking to find the truth. And, you know, reporters can report the news. Even if they have a political uh, perspective, they could still be unbiased in what they're doing. My point is that since you are a conservative or a libertarian, uh, and you have a philosophy, then what the critics are saying is they're saying, aha, see, he must be biased because they can't attack what you've done because it's bulletproof. So they have to attack you, right? It's a, they're ad hominem attacks on you because they can't deal with your research or your conclusions. So all they can do is say, well, the messenger is bad. Forget about the message because yeah, the it's, messenger it's, is biased. I understand. It, look, it's what I've experienced with coming out with this film certainly uh, tells us the story once again of how illegitimate the media is and how they will refuse to do journalism and only want to promote an agenda. Yeah. Now, have, have you heard from any of the other principals that were in the film, particularly have you spoken to Diamond at all since this thing has come out and she knows that you're not just uh, her customer buying dresses? Well, I am her best customer. I you, bought her entire store. Um, well, no, because I, I, I tried to give away the clothes to Goodwill and they wouldn't take them. They said they're like too provocative. They wouldn't take them. Uh, but no, I haven't uh, tried to contact any of the principals uh, because, for example, even when I met Diamond, I wanted to get her on film. I wanted to talk to her, get handwriting samples was the main goal. And I hadn't really gotten through all her social media and her friend's social media yet. So it wasn't the kind of gotcha journalism where I say, look at this, you know, what are you doing in Trayvon's cell phone records? Uh, it, I didn't want to, I didn't think she yeah. would admit to it either. So, uh, no, there's been no attempt to go and interview she hasn't, people. She hasn't reached out to you at all. 
lot. No, no, not at all. And look, obviously, she was involved in something. She was only 16. She's involved in something that has some criminal element to it. So, uh, you know, the fact that there was a fake witness who pretended to be her. So I doubt she's going to be calling me or following up yeah. on uh, any clothing and, sales. And, you know, I don't blame her. I mean, yes, she was 16. She was a minor. She was under incredible pressure from everybody to lie. And to her credit, I mean, she initially agreed to this phone conversation. But when she was asked to go on oath and swear under penalty of perjury, she backed out. I mean, she didn't want to do it. And, and so that's to her credit. And yes, I'm sure, you know, she's been living with this incredible secret. But I think she was convinced that it was it was good. It was like the, 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 the means, the ends justify right. the means. It's OK look, to lie because we have look, a noble cause here. Yeah, look, there was certainly this is like mass hysteria. Uh, this is ends justifies the means. Uh, all these people, though, were religious people. They're always tweeting about God and going to church. Yeah. Trayvon's mother always thank you, Jesus. She's a very religious woman. Yet uh, Trayvon's mother knew about the witness switch when it happened, and she did not come forward and did not blow the whistle on this. So where does God come in if you're a religious person? Aren't there religious right. principles that would come in despite your anger, despite the fact that you want Zimmerman arrested, that you would like to transfer the problems with your son and supervision of him, you'd like to transfer that problem to a racial scapegoat. Religion is supposed to come in here. So unfortunately, a lot of these people knew about it and just caught up, got caught up in this hysteria. Now, even Rachel, you, at first I felt a little sorry for her. I said, well, maybe she was taken advantage of because of her disabilities somehow. Uh, but then she appeared in Jay-Z's documentary last year, Rest in Power, and there she is again, six years later, pretending to be Diamond Eugene. So I felt a little less sorry for her. Yeah, and of course, you know, that's her ticket to fame now. She's somebody now. She was nobody before this happened. And now all of a sudden, you know, you know, she's, a, you know, she's an important individual. So she wants to, uh, you know, hang on to that. But, you know, if, if anything that you said is wrong, right, the, the people can file a lawsuit against you for producing this film. I mean, the, if, if, if John Tell really is Diamond, you, you've you know, defamed her. Well, you, she could, I mean, people can file suits against you instead of calling you names. If this is all a lie, if this is all a politically biased hit job with no basis in fact, where are the lawsuits against you? Look, I would love to be able to put them under oath. I have a load of, of evidence and <laughs> questions I'd like to ask. That, you know, Don West is the one that uh, deposed Rachel. And I said to him things like, well, why didn't you realize that all these problems? And he said, look, we only, he said to me, look, we knew we could get Zimmerman off on self-defense. And that was our job. And we knew that something was wrong, but we didn't know what it was. And it, it, it just didn't make sense to start going down these different areas when we didn't know where it would lead. And we already knew we could get him off on self-defense. Now, I still think they should have, obviously seen the photos as should the uh, mm -hmm. obviously the uh, the state of Florida how could they not have noticed that the girl was not Rachel Gentile so I think a lot of people have some uh, explaining to do and you know if nothing happens I mean, you've put the information out there so it's there right it's gonna get out and if nothing happens to the perpetrators if nothing happens to Crump if he doesn't even get this barred, right? If nothing happens to the family, then the message this sends is fake all the racial crimes you want. It's okay. You know, you could, you could bear false witness. You could commit perjury because even if you get caught, nothing is going to happen to you. So you might as well take a shot, right? Just make stuff up. People well, will believe you. Well, look, the fact that this case was a fake witness, race hoax, it was a race hoax. The judiciary was corrupt in this thing. I don't think there would have been a fake witness in the uh, Kavanaugh hearing if it wasn't because of this case. I don't think there could be a whistleblower that's hiding somewhere and the president could be impeached if it wasn't for this case. This case, in this case, the media and the left realized that we used to say that guilty people are innocent. Now we'll just say innocent people are guilty. Well, and as this long is as they're accused by the right person. It depends well, it's on a dangerous... They, you don't have to have the right person. You had Christine Blasey Ford. You had uh, mysterious well, women. Woman. Well, you had mysterious women writing letters. <laughs> You've got a mysterious whistleblower. So they'll take a fake witness, and now they just hide them a little better. And uh, I think it's a very dangerous precedent. And I, I, would not, I would like to see this reversed, that you, we should not have corruption in the justice system. 
uh, I would think everyone should be on notice, and the public is getting sick of it as well, to present false narratives, little slogans, Skittles and iced tea, hands up, don't shoot, all this stuff that they run with and that in the end turns out to be false and all this mayhem that results from this is ridiculous stories. Yeah, and that's why this you know, documentary is so powerful uh, because it, it, it really you know, puts it in such a straightforward manner. You can't watch this thing and, and not be convinced. And that's what's even important, other than just listening to this discussion. You gotta actually watch it so you can see that it's not made up. I mean, you can see you're going through the phone records, you're going through the texts, you're going through social media, you're getting the yearbooks, you're looking at the pictures. I mean, this can't be made up, right? No, you're we're actually yeah, doing yeah. this. That's why I say go to the start at the TrayvonHooks.com. Look at the trailer. You can live stream the movie right there, or you can jump over to Amazon, get the DVD or the ebook. But what was what was uh, made up was that after the police investigation, Crumb said, "Oh, we just found Trayvon's girlfriend, and she has something to say that's the opposite of all the evidence. And now we're going to arrest this guy. And oh, now she's 18-year-old Rachel Gentel. She's not 16-year-old Diamond Eugene." I mean, it's incredible when you look back that anybody could have believed any of this. Yeah, and you know, and I can imagine, you know, because they're shocked. Oh, he didn't get charged. So now they had to come up with this, oh, we got his girlfriend. Because obviously, they would have brought that forward sooner, uh, you know, if they didn't, like, pull it out, like, last minute as a Hail Mary pass. But can you imagine then all of a sudden they find out that Diamond's not going to follow through with it? Because obviously, initially, they thought they had her on board because they used her name, they used her voice, and then they're like... She's not going to do it. And then they got to substitute somebody else. I can imagine them laughing. They were, can we actually get away with this? And they actually I, I look, did. Look, they, look, they must have been worried. Rachel confessed. She confessed to the prosecutor. And they didn't care. And they didn't care. There was a bigger agenda that took over. And none of the media thought to ask Rachel. All her stories kept changing. How many people do they know that have a nickname that's different from their regular name? And, and they never asked her. If you were on the phone with your uh, boyfriend... And there was someone stalking him, jumped on top of him. He screamed for 50 seconds, help, and then was shot in cold blood. Why didn't you call the police? They don't even ask her about that. So the media is the biggest culprit in this. And and, and uh, she didn't even know. I mean, they ask her, you know, is the phone in your own name? Well, it should be by now. I mean, she even lets that slip. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, It's just ridiculous when you hear that interview. She was not on the phone with Trayvon. She's not his girlfriend. I found the real girlfriend, Diamond Eugene. I went and met her in person. Uh, she's in the movie. And you just see the whole, I Look, walk you through the entire. This is explosive. Uh, it's a great piece of investigative journalism. It's very entertaining even to watch it. And for me personally, it was satisfying in that. Look, I never believed this nonsense from the beginning. And so it kind of validates you know, what I thought based on you know, just being a logical person right? Who's not seeing black and white, who's just seeing reality and fiction, which clearly uh, this was. But, you know, I don't know how this case can even be adjudicated. Uh, I mean, my fear is that they're going to either it's going to be thrown out for some BS reason. There'll be some political pressure. I don't know what the statute of limitation is. uh, If they can say this, this is really new evidence that was discovered. I mean, the the defamation charges is not stale because that's fresh from that book from 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 Crump. But maybe they'll just pay him off. Maybe the state will write Zimmerman a check. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, I know that look, uh, Crump wrote a book that came out only a couple months ago yeah. called Open Season Legalized Genocide of Colored People. Who uses uh, the term colored people? And then Zimmerman says he's then defamed in this book. So uh, Crump is running around trying to be the new Al Sharpton by exacerbating uh, race issues where they don't exist. And he's caused, I think he's caused a lot of harm to the country, as has... You know, Al Sharpton had a history of mayhem. Al Sharpton, who was an Obama advisor, also came down with the Department of Justice to organize protests. And Crump introduces, it's in the movie, Crump introduces Al Sharpton at a rally. And he says, we called up to New York City to get someone with a track record. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, Sharpton's track record was Tawana Brawley race hoax, yeah. Crown Heights 1991 riots, 1995 oh. Freddy's Fashion Mart massacre. So this is the guy that they wanted. That's the experience they were tapping into. Yeah, this is an industry, like a star with Jesse Jackson. These guys are shakedown artists, poverty pimps. They use the African-American community. They, they actually perpetuate poverty. They, they want to keep them down so they can claim the reason you're not a success 
is because of racism. And so you need me, you need to support what I'm doing, or you need to vote for the people that I tell you to vote for. And that's your only ticket out of poverty, right? Because we're going we're gonna to use the power of government uh, to uh, protect you. But it's the government that is keeping them look, down. It's, it's right, preventing look, with, them from uh, lifting themselves out of poverty. Look, with Obama's election, they kind of, they run out of, uh, you know, things to, to allege. Because if, uh, if America is not racist, these guys are out of business. This guy, Jay Christian Adams, wrote a book about it. He actually worked at the Justice Department. He was a holdover under Obama. And he detailed how the Obama administration hired about a thousand lawyers from radical social justice groups, the uh, SPLC and also La Raza. So you had this, these lawyers up there just looking to exploit race. And no one has suffered more from this uh, than the black youth of America. And no one is responding more positively to, to this film than black teenagers because they see that they got played and they've been played ever since. And I think it's uh, very liberating to see that this entire narrative that there's armed white men in the streets and police that want to shoot you because of your skin tone, that this whole thing is total nonsense and Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, she's in the movie too. She runs around the country just supporting Democrats. Yeah, now, and now saying, she's running herself. Now she's running. Yeah, she's perfect. running for yeah. office. Yeah. I have no doubt they're going to bring her out to the 2020 convention to try to inflame with her narrative. She's still saying today, people hate you so much because of your color of your skin, they want to shoot you. She, she says that, even though this case had nothing to do with that. And, you know, we mentioned that the, the media, you've talked to some people in the press, they're really, they're just kind of afraid to touch this because it's so, such a hot, divisive issue. They're afraid, you know, for their careers. But I'm sure you're getting uh, emails or uh, some people are contacting you, regular people who have seen this. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm sure you've got some hate mail, but are people saying, hey, you know what? Thank you for opening my eyes because I actually believed the false narrative. And then I watched this film and now my mind has been changed. Are you getting those yeah, kind of you, Well, first of all, if you go to the uh, live stream link from the website, the TrayvonHoax.com, there's lots of comments there. You can also see on Amazon, you know, over 100 comments on uh, and reviews uh, just from regular folks that see it. And those mirror the type of emails I get where people say, I kind of knew something was wrong with this case, but I didn't know what it was. But I did end up believing the main part of it. And now I realize it was all a lie and thanking me. I've gotten very little hate or angry mail. The only couple of angry things are from white liberals. Yeah, they, don't it, like, it, they, don't <laughs> like it. they don't like it very much that the story they've been pushing to black America that they better vote for Democrats because of all this hate. They don't like it when that story is uh, debunked yeah. a little bit. And if but there's any, very, any, very few complaints. If there's any bad reviews, they're not even from people who saw the film because you can't give that film a bad review if you've actually seen it. So I'm sure there are people who are just going there and are just saying, oh, it's terrible. It's a bunch of nonsense because they're very, biased. And they, they, very, so they want. even then, it's very little. And I can tell you, just like you said, you saw the film twice. I have never heard from anybody that didn't watch it at least twice because it was so much information. It's actually very entertaining, even though it's such a serious no, subject. Yeah, you don't want to miss anything. Yeah. But, you know, that uh, brings up the point. I want to ask you about the incident. You were going to screen this uh, right. down in Florida somewhere, and the, you had, the theater basically had so much political pressure, they, they wouldn't even let you show it. They canceled your, the contract. Right. We had a contract with Coral Gables Art Cinema, signed rental agreement, totally normal. I had, I've done this a hundred times and I was at the National Press Club of all places just two months prior. Very similar. You simply rent the room. They have no responsibility. They don't sell tickets. It was a private event for press only. They have nothing to do with it. And it's very, very common. That's what they do all the time. Most theaters do that. And I went to Florida, got the press release out. I had responses from CNN, Fox News Channel, NBC. They're all coming. Miami Herald, Orlando Sentinel. Everybody's coming RSVP, and I'm just driving over to the theater. I've been in Florida for a couple of days with my Blu-ray disc. Uh -huh. They said, well, bring your Blu-ray. We just want to test it on the system. I said, okay. So this is less than 24 hours and before the event. They call me, and they say, we canceled. I said, why? They said, well, the city of Coral Gables mayor is calling, and the city council and the city lawyer is here in the lobby of the theater, and they want us to cancel. I said, why? Why? Uh, well, uh, they don't like the name of the movie or something. I said, well, <laughs> you can't do that. I have a contract. I'll call you right back. She called me back and wouldn't even talk to me anymore. She said, well, you can send me an email. 
So subsequently, I had to cancel that event. It cost a lot of money, and I'm probably going to sue them for breach of contract, censorship, violation of First Amendment rights. This is a typical thing where they didn't see the movie. They didn't ask for it. They, they even admitted there's no requirement to screen or approve content. Yeah, it well, you know, they, that's what happened. They Look, I'm sure they'll settle for some amount because I can see from their perspective, they were probably afraid that they were going to get protests, uh, people were going to boycott or people were going to vandalize the property. I don't know. You can't, you can't be fear of fear of the mob means we don't have free speech. Well, I showed it at the National Press Club. But this is Nobody not a government cares. agency. This is a private company that didn't want to take that risk. But, you know, you, that shows you how powerful they, this film is. Because if your film was a bunch of BS, sure, put it out there so people could show how it's nonsense. But the fact that you can't refute anything in this film, that's why it's so scary. That's why people don't want well, maybe, it aired. But, maybe, but, but they shouldn't. They, you can't censor movies that you haven't even seen and you, haven't, you don't have any requirement in your contract for an, well, a you could have a breach of contract. It's not really because it's not government. This is a private company that doesn't want to take the risk to their reputation. But if they had, they should have asked you that. I mean, they, you know, you did what you were required to do, and they, you know, to protect themselves, they breached the contract. They should be required to cover your damages. Yeah. Anyway, um, in that, but it's thank. Fortunately, you know, we can see this. This thing is on the internet. You can get. You actually can get the, the a DVD too, or a Blu-ray, or is it all just download? Yeah, well, you can live stream from the link on the TrayvonHooks.com. Uh, you can also get the DVD there, or on Amazon, you can get the book, the ebook, or the uh, the DVD as well. Do you have a package book, deal where you get the book both? and ebook? Yeah, yeah, book and ebook. I mean, I I think if you watch the movie or vice versa, you're going to get the book and vice versa, because the movie is so visual and interesting and fun, and then the book has a lot more uh, background and depth and additional things that you we couldn't fit in the film. So I think you should you should uh, read and, and watch the movie as well. Yeah, and you know the story is not over yet because you know we have to see what happens uh, with this lawsuit. We have to see if the media will gradually open their eyes or somebody will have courage if a major network or somebody will actually report on what's really relevant here, not the fact that there's a lawsuit, but that there was a fraud perpetrated, that there was a fake witness, that it was an imposter, right. that it was an attempt to frame an innocent man that the media ran with a phony narrative despite all the evidence, overwhelming witness and factual evidence that the narrative was wrong. And now, even after the fact, when it's confirmed that the witness wasn't even real and they're still clinging to this false narrative. So well, I mean, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see yeah. the, Pandora, the Pandora's box that you've opened up uh, with this right. film. Well, I, I was on the Today Show when I was in Florida, believe it or not. Uh, Kerry Sanders interviewed me for a full hour, a full hour. And I was saying, well, how much of this is going to make it onto the day show? He said, oh, a couple of minutes. I said, okay. So for an hour, he kept asking me provocative questions like he, eight times. He said, is this just a conspiracy like that? And then I, I would explain why it's not. Well, it actually is a conspiracy, but it's not a conspiracy theory. There was more than one person that was involved in this, yes, which makes it makes technically it a conspiracy. conspiracy. I said, but it's proven. So eight times he tried to kind of find something to make fun of me in some way. And in the end, only 12 seconds of the full hour interview got on to the Today Show. And I actually answered you know, his question. He goes, well, why didn't, you, why didn't you ask Diamond Eugene when you saw her in the movie uh, about this? And I said, it, it is, I was in the middle of the investigation. You don't tell the person you're investigating, yes. hey, I'm investigating you. And yes, so I guard, think I did it was, pretty good. It was a perfect undercover operation because she wasn't defensive. Her guard was down because the real Diamond Eugene, she's a bright girl. I mean, she's smart. She's not like uh, um, Rachel Jantel. She's got a lot of on the ball. She's got a lot, you know, and so, you know, she would have she wouldn't have got anywhere near you. And it was funny. She was a little suspicious, you know, when she's she's writing those names down. I was laughing about the names that you came up with. And she's like, right. she, but she's, she didn't piece that together because you did such a good job of pretending to be, uh, you know, her customer. Well, I was a customer. I bought yeah. a lot of her uh, fashion clothing. Yeah. It was a good deal. Uh, I would recommend her clothes to girls that wear that kind of clothing. Uh, but yeah, it, it was very nerve wracking. I mean, I had a camera set up right there in plain sight and she kind of looked at it and she must have just thought, well, that I don't know what she thought, uh, but it was nerve wracking. I was trying to get her to, to sign names on these Christmas cards. Yeah. 
<laughs> that coincided with the same words in the letter yeah. that she gave to Trayvon's mother. So you had like, the man was getting closer, so I made up a name, Teresa Closerman. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, these are really funky names. I hope she doesn't realize what's up. Yeah, and, and so, and by the way, yeah, they took an hour of footage for the Today Show and they did a minute. Yeah. This is like, I don't know how long we've been talking. It feels like an hour. All of it is going to be online. We're not going to edit any of this down. Uh, so you're going to get a full airing. And so is, if there's anything that, any questions that I kind of forgot to ask you, uh, and if there's anything that's on your mind that you want to get out there, why don't you know, just finish up by just saying anything yeah. that we, we, we didn't, we didn't appreciate it. Look, I think it's the most important film of the year, if not the decade, the most race-based uh, trial since OJ that really changed the country. Turns out it was a hoax. It was a total fraud. Uh, Black Lives Matter should probably think about hanging it up. Colin Kaepernick can go back and play for the 49ers now. All this race-based yeah. nonsense that divided us for no reason. You look at this film and you realize it was just a lot of BS and we need to get back to who we are, which is uh, brotherhood. Americans are brothers, black and white. We live under a nation of uh, liberty and justice for all. And there's no need to have this race-based narrative in our faces from the left or the media. And this movie just exposes it. And by the way, Trayvon Martin, I get to know him in the last eight months of his life. And I probably got to know him more than his friends and family. And I show that he wasn't a thug. He was not a rocket scientist either that they made him out to be. Uh, he was an average kid that went into a downhill spiral. And you can learn about that in the film. So if you go to the TrayvonHoax.com, start with the trailer, uh, live stream, and, and share it as much as possible because I think the story uh, can help heal yeah. what went wrong. And, and in that this is the real story, too, about a young kid who probably had a promising future uh, he had some problems and he did spiral down. And, you know, where are his parents? Where was his father uh, in all this? And, you know, how did those that institution or school and fail him? Because he put himself in circumstances that led to his death. It's unfortunate that he died, even if he, you know, he attacked George and, and he's, you know, getting into fights like a lot of young kids do stupid things when they're 16, 17 years old. And, like it and especially, was, but, yeah. but, you know. The fact that he's dead, it's not Zimmerman's fault that he got okay, I, I like. Yeah, let me comment. Is, look, it, it was a tragedy. Uh, it's a big country. There's 320 million people. There are tragic circumstances that kind of come together and things happen. Uh, some people do stupid things uh, and make terrible mistakes. Some people are on drugs and do things they shouldn't have done. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes that leads to someone's death. But for those individual incidences, to then be exploited by the media and the left to make a political narrative and a political agenda is wrong. And uh, this case is no different from some other ones where individuals acted stupidly or mistakenly and uh, someone was, was killed. Yeah. And, uh, that's and, and that is the real the tragedy, thing. not just the death of a 17-year-old. Uh, but, you know, the, the death of freedom and justice and, and, and the way people are exploiting uh, a tragedy like that to create an even bigger tragedy where even more people have probably died as a result of, of you know, the race baiting and all everything that's happened in the aftermath of this. And, you know, I'm sure that the, you know, the, the Academy, if you're not going to nominate you for an Academy Award for Best Documentary, uh, you know, although they well, should nominate the well, film. Well, let me, let me point out, I am up for a Pulitzer Prize. I paid $75 and I entered the book. The book? to the Pulitzer Prize Committee for 2019 at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. So if they're watching, please take a serious look at the book because I, I believe mean, I am an official entrant. I'm not a nominee yet, but I'm an entrant for the Pulitzer Prize for the book. Well, I would say given that this is a seminal event, an iconic uh, thing that happened in, in our history, for you to be able to definitively prove that the entire thing was a fraud, not just, you know, a lot of people thought it didn't make sense, right? Oh, this, how can that be? This doesn't make any sense. But there was no actual proof until you supplied the proof. And, well, and you did it in a very entertaining yeah. way. So hopefully Thanks. that yeah. is what you accomplish here. If you can accomplish uh, to open up people's eyes so that the next Jesse Smollett is not immediately believed when he comes up with this crazy, you know, cockamamie story that people are a little bit more circumspect and, I you know, so. they, they wait for the facts to come out and then yeah. objectively analyze those facts before reaching a conclusion. Yeah, that's definitely one of the lessons. The, the bigger malfeasance is uh, 
all this information was sitting there in the public records of the state of Florida. Any one in the media could have walked in and read this stuff and figured it out. It took me a couple of months because there's just so much information, but why didn't anyone in the yeah. media, why weren't they even yeah. curious? That's just it. Uh, Anybody could have done it, but you are the guy who did do it. That's right? why I and deserve that's the key. Uh, you did that's it. why I deserve the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> at Columbia University for 2019. So let's hope they're listening. Yeah, well, all right. I'd vote for you if I could. But anyway, again, it's Joel Gilbert. It's the Trayvon hoax, unmasking the uh, witness fraud that divided America. I highly recommend that you download and watch the movie. I'd recommend the book, too, even though I haven't read it myself. But it's not just me. My wife watched it. My mother watched it. We all enjoyed it. Uh, and so everybody else will, too. So, again, the, we'll have the links at the end of this video. And after you watch it, then you got to tell your friends to get a copy because, you know, we got to build the grassroots here. If the media is not going to let it you know, trickle down, we have to trickle it back up to the media. Right. We got to get as many people uh, to have a copy to have seen this to try to force the media uh, you know, to bow to the pressure and admit uh, what's been uncovered and admit the, the cover up and the mistakes that they tried to cram down the throats uh, of the American public. Thanks again, Joel. Thanks so much.